to the Warmed and Bound sessions. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in The Velvet, an online community of authors and fans of the trio Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound is being released into the wild July 22nd. And joining us for this Warmed and Bound session is Richard Thomas. He's published dozens of stories online and in print, including the Shivers 6 anthology, where he was published alongside Stephen King and Peter Straub. He's also appeared in Murky Depths, Pank, Pear Noir, Word Riot, 3AM Magazine, Dogmatica, Vane, and Opium. His debut novel, Transubstantiate, was released in July of 2010 by Otherworld Publications. Richard, we've been looking forward to having you on for a while, so we're really happy to have you on. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. You want to start off by telling the listeners a little bit about Say Yes to Pleasure, your story that appears in Warmed and Bound? Sure, sure. Um, The story, it came to me, uh, Pila and I were talking about... um, the collection, the anthology, Warmed and Bound. This is pr- pretty early on in the process. It was still kind of a concept. Uh, didn't have a lot of people involved yet. And uh, I told her I definitely wanted to submit something and be a part of it for sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been at the Velvet for a number of years. A big fan of all the authors there. And uh, so I had a couple stories sitting around. And uh, I sent those over to her. I said, here's a couple. What do you think? Are these close to what you're looking for? And she liked them enough, but, you know, she wasn't really, I don't know, blown away, I guess. So we talked a little bit about, you know, what makes a Richard Thomas story and what is it she liked about my work. And so we just kind of took the time to custom write something for the anthology. So we decided to um, put the story together. She, I, know she want, I knew she wanted something kind of gritty and, you know, a little sexy and dark and strange. And so I, I just kind of told her, you know, Tell me what you want, lay it out, you know, we'll, we'll bat it back and forth. And so I started writing this story. The way this particular story came about, I have a, uh, a quote, kind of a mantra that I, that I use in my daily life, kind of keeps me going, and it's from uh, Nietzsche. And the quote is, uh, what does not kill me makes me stronger. You know, I've been through a lot of my life, ups and downs, and it's one of those things that the idea of coming out of something negative stronger than when you went into it, learning from your mistakes, all that kind of stuff really has been something that I've, I've used as a way to kind of keep myself going when things have gotten tough or, you know, you get a lot of rejections, for, you know, sending out your stories and novel, mm-hmm. novels, um, just keep me going. And uh, I was doing some research on, on Nietzsche and I ran across this other quote of his I didn't know was his, um, and I'll, I'm just going to paraphrase it here, I'll probably butcher it, but um, basically it goes something like this. He says, have you ever said yes to a pleasure? then you've also said yes to all pain. So the idea of that when you open yourself up to pleasure, when you open yourself up to love, when you open yourself up to lust and intimacy, that you risk something, that you put yourself out there and you run the risk, you run, you run the, the chance of having your heart broken, of being abused, of being neglected, of being ignored. Um, and so all those things kind of came together with this story and I wanted to explore the idea of, of that idea, that, that part of, the, of his, of his uh, philosophy, of his quote. Also the idea, you know, one man's pleasure is another man's pain. And how if you look at pain and pleasure, sometimes they're very close to each other. If you look at love and hate, sometimes they're very close to each other. I mean, in order to actually hate something, you have to first feel something for it. So ideally, in order to really hate something, you have to love it first. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the, the genesis of the story came from, the, the little nugget of an idea. And from that point, I kind of just ran through the story. I, I started developing uh, pretty easily once I got into the first paragraph. Uh, here, I'll just give you the first line. I've got the story up. Just to give you a little, people a little tease out there. Um, the first line goes, this is what it means to be a slave, living in fear of discovery. So the whole idea um, that something's going on and that, you're a slave to something you've done. You're afraid of being discovered. That some, something's gone wrong here, and that's kind of the idea. Exploring the story, and I'll take you into a situation, and it's, it's not it's not everything you think it is in the beginning. And you know, by the time we get to the end, don't worry, I won't give away anything here. It just kind of kind of folds back in on itself, and you get a chance to kind of decide whether you want the protagonist to you know what what do you want to happen to them? I mean, we see that a lot in life. Things are not 
black and white and they're gray. You know, I mean, people watch a TV show like Dexter, and he's a serial serial killer, but he's also kind of this noble hero who's ridding the earth of these horrible people. Mm-hmm. So I like to play in that uh, in that arena in that area, in that kind of that landscape where you paint people and you say, "Hey, something bad happened, and and what are they going to do about it?" And then how do you, the reader, feel? And how do you, as a reader? deal with it and when you're done with the story hopefully there's, there's something there that kind of sits, sits with you a little bit and gets you to think having read say yes to pleasure i would definitely say it definitely is something that sits with you after you're done reading it so good job there thanks thanks okay so um of all the stories in warmed and bound uh what author's story are you most looking forward to reading oh man that's that's a tough one there's so many talented people in this anthology um I'm always a fan of Stephen Graham Jones. I've read a lot of his stuff. Um, I'm really happy to see Craig Clevenger get something out there. He doesn't put out as much work as, as say, Stephen does. Um, would have been awesome to get uh, to get Bear in there too. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Craig Davidson too. I, I, I got a peek at his story. It's, it's a really long one, but I, I really like that too. I, I mean, there's so many people. Really, I, I think I'm just gonna sit down and read the whole thing and. The people I don't know as well, you know, I'm kind of excited to see what they what they put in here, and it it's like and seeing all my old friends too, I mean, pe- people that I know from Right Club and the Velvet and the Cult and all. It's like I want to see what they put out there, and you know, nine times out of ten they're knocking it out of the park, you know. And um, I think it's gonna be one of those those collections. I'm just really gonna. I, I don't think it's probably gonna be a stinker in the bunch. I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think Peter would let us happen, let that happen. <laughs> Okay, so um, speaking of uh, the Velvet in general, can you tell us a little bit about your history with the Velvet? I know that you're very active there, and a lot of the authors have, have had great things to say about you there. So where, where did Thank that you. kind of start? Like a lot of people, I, I came over to the Velvet from the cult. Um, and I came to the cult uh, when I saw Fight Club, the movie. Um, that was one of those years. There were a lot of really good movies, Fight Club. I think Seven was the same year or around about the same time, and I saw the movie and I didn't realize I'd never heard of Chuck Palahniuk at that point, and so I, I'm like, oh my god, there's this guy who wrote this great movie. What else has he written? And then I went back and found a bunch of his books. Having just seen the movie um, Fight Club, I didn't want to go read it again. I wanted to distance myself a little bit from it, so I went back to the beginning and read Survivor and Choke, and, and basically worked my way through his entire body of work. And it just really kind of woke me up as a writer and a reader. Uh, he has a very unique voice, in my opinion. I'm a big fan of a lot of his older stuff. I'm not, not so much a fan of his last couple of books, but and that got me really kind of excited about the written word. I, I'm, I'm usually kind of a slow adopter of new voices, um, but once I discovered Polonica, you know, he led me to Clevenger and and Stephen Graham Jones, and, and of course Will Christopher Bear, and that got me over to the Velvet. It was inter- I think when I first started hanging out with the cult, it was a very social thing. You know, I hung out with a bunch of you know a bunch of goofballs and riffraff hanging out, and there wasn't a whole lot of serious stuff going on. So when I wanted to talk about things seriously. I want to talk about movies and writing. I'd go over to the Velvet and hang out there, where it was a little more subdued. And obviously, you know, the trio was there, and I, was, I became a big fan of them. You know, I started. I think I started out by reading um, probably Clevenger stuff first, and then. Um, definitely, I got into Bear. I mean, he's probably all three of them are, are very influential, um, uh, are big influences on my writing. Probably, Will Christopher Bear is the most influential on my work, the closest to my style. But I basically went over there, found those guys, started reading them, read, read everything that, that Clevenger and Bear wrote, and then I kind of worked my way up to, to Stephen just because his work's a little more, <laughs> a little more intimidating. Uh, and I read all, all the beautiful sinners, and that was that kind of just blew me away. I actually had to kind of put it down and step away from it for a while. It was just it was a little too much for me to handle. And then I went back and read it again, and I was just like, "Oh, this is so good." So that's kind of what got me over to the velvet. And then I basically, you know, just started hanging out and discovered there were, there were a whole bunch more writers over there, and it's just become one of those forums that you once you're there, you you kind of you, you stick around. You know, I mean, I've, I've hung out a lot of different places where you kind of set up an account and you. Put up your avatar and your pictures and all your links and stuff, and then like you know, a couple weeks later, you just nah, blow it off and you go, oh, I'm not really hanging out, and having fun here. I've always enjoyed my time at the Velvet. I mean, there's a lot of really smart people, a lot of really hip people that know what's going on, a lot of people who are really kind of breaking out, emerging. You know, so I felt comfortable being in the in that pack of writers who are not quite there yet, and uh, always kind of looking up at you know Stephen and and Craig and and uh, and, and Bear trying to. You know, learn something from what they've done. 
once I discovered Craig, I ended up taking a couple of his classes, a couple of intensives, a couple of intensives over at the cult. And that really got me going as a writer, kind of reborn as a writer. It's about four or five years ago. And uh, that kind of led me back to my writing in a lot of ways. Um, Craig was very supportive, really pushed me, really liked my work. Um, and in fact, really pushed me to send out my story, Stillness, which was accepted in the, the Shiver 6 anthology, which ended up having Stephen King and Peter Straub in it. So it just kind of one thing led to another and it just kind of snowballed. Um, for a long time, I've been working in the world of advertising as an art director. And I kind of put my writing aside for a long time. I mean, I'm I'm 43 years old. I you know I'm not 25. I'm, I I put this writing aside for a long time. But the minute I kind of came back to it and started reading Chuck and Craig and Stephen and, and Bear, it just kind of uh, I felt like you know I wanted to be a part of it. You know, I, I didn't want to just be on the sidelines anymore. And uh, that really kind of got me got me going. And I mean, real, I really only been writing seriously like four four years or so. It's kind of interesting listening to you kind of talk about them being influential and um, in your writing and stuff, because we've talked to a few authors, some of them on interviews, some we've talked to in email and whatnot, and you are very frequently named as kind of like an older brother. Actually, Christopher, <laughs> Dw- Christopher Dwyer actually said like an older brother and then a mentor, and there have been a couple people that have either credited you or thanked you in talking to us about um, work that they've done. What's that like for you to mentor um, younger or newer authors? Well, it, it's first of all, thank you for saying that. That's I'm I'm really kind of blown away that you would even say that, um, and that all the people are saying such kind words about uh, me and my writing. It's you know it's it's a community, and I think there's always somebody you're looking up to. I know I've been looking up to, to authors for years, and I think the best writers are really the ones that are the most um, soulful the ones that really inspire me the most are the ones that make the time to to help out people who are kind of following them up the ladder. I mean, people I run into, like, you know, Donald Ray Pollock, who's just been nothing but generous with his time and blurbs and just people who are just blowing up and are getting big deals. I mean, Monica Drake and um, so many people, they've really just, it, it's inspired me to, to feel like there's room in the in this writing community for, for everyone. I, I learned as much from these guys, you know, as, as hopefully I... I can share with them and teach them it's i just kind of try and put it out there and and talk about the things that we're all doing you know the fact that we're all struggling we all go through the pain of rejections we're all trying to make our work the best we're all trying to find new voices to to read and to to study it makes me feel really great to to see people growing and and emerging there's so many people i mean i look over at right club and so many people over there are getting book deals um, I'm, I'm really thrilled. Uh, I don't know how thrilled these guys are that they followed me to, to other world publications, but <laughs> um, I was very excited and honored to have Nick come over there and join me, and Caleb, and Brandon, and uh, Sonbert, and a, a lot of people. And you know, Simon's got a book coming out. Two, I think he has two books deal with uh, with his press, and it's just it's really amazing because in the privacy of our forum, in the privacy of Right Club behind closed doors. You know, we build each other up, and we help each other do better to improve our writing. And you know, of course, we're, we're hard on each other. We, we critique each other's work, but we really want to see each other succeed. And it's, it's always been a great community over there. And I think now that people are making book deals again, their work out there, and really kind of you know getting their stories placed and getting some attention, it's 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 really a very cool thing to witness. Um, you know, I just <clears throat> I might be out there pushing it a little harder just because I'm a little older, you know, like I said, I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I have as much time on earth to, to, to mess around with this stuff that I'm coming to this a little bit late. You know, I just, I'm just finishing up my, my MFA, getting my master's and I'm, you know, it'd be nice if I was in my thirties and I wanted to teach and I was just starting out or in my late twenties, but you know, I, I didn't do that. You know, I got into advertising, I, I did other things that chased girls and had a good time and <laughs> I just wasn't really focused on my writing. So, you know, I can only be at this point in time and I can only be, where I was four years ago when I started doing this. If I, I mean, all my writing from my 20s is just terrible. I mean, the first book I wrote was horrible. It's, so, I, I mean, I'm happy to be where I am. And, you know, if, if I, anything I do helps somebody else to, to write better or to be inspired to go out there and, and, and send out their writing and to really push hard to succeed and break through, I mean, then, then I, it really makes me feel good. You know, I feel fulfilled. I, I feel... Um, a sense of peace by doing that because I, I, I just want to see everybody else get out there. There's so many talented writers that surround me um, 
it, it makes me feel good to hear people, you know, that I have an influence and that I'm, what I'm doing, you know, makes a difference. It really does. So this actually works out perfectly because, <laughs> and Livius actually kind of gave me a hard time for this at the time, <clears> but <throat> in a previous episode, we gave you a quick shout out for Transubstantiate. And one of the things I said about you was that um, my impression at the time, and I knew much less of you, was that it seemed like that you were involved a lot with the community and really encouraging people to do their stuff. Um, <laughs> so that validates what I said a little bit. Livius was like, "Yeah, I'm sure Richard's gonna like that you're telling everybody to bring him your his bring him your stuff." <laughs> but uh, we we talked a little bit about transubstantiate, and uh, I like when we have people on that we've talked about their books to just ask them to talk a little bit about what we've said just to to give their yeah, take sure. in case yeah. uh in case what we said isn't quite accurate or whatever so uh <laughs> you want to give a brief summary of transubstantiate oh god you know if i could if i could give a brief uh summary of transubstantiate then i probably would have an agent by now um <laughs> it's a it's a weird book it's uh i call it a neo-noir speculative thriller um and I know people, a lot of people are kind of sick of what labels and subgenres are, but it helps me when I can compartmentalize sometimes. It helps me to stay focused. Um, to me, neo-noir is just, it's just French for new black. I look <laughs> at it as contemporary dark fiction. Um, not particularly horror, per se, although it can be horrific, um, but more... Uh, there really aren't that many neo-noir fiction writers, but I, I think of it in terms of film a lot, like David Lynch, David Fincher, um, Christopher Nolan... People who are doing new dark film. That's kind of how I see neo-noir as literature. I, I call it speculative transubstantiate because it, it speculates. It asks a lot of questions. There's a little bit of fantasy in there. There's a little bit of science fiction. There's a little bit of horror. So it kind of touches a couple of those notes as far as those genres. And then uh, as far as being a thriller, I see it as kind of being somewhat fast-paced. It keeps The story keeps moving. Something's always happening. So that's kind of how I look at it as a you know, how you would describe the, the genres and, and the style of the book. It's basically seven people, or, well, six in a, some sort of a computer hybrid, um, <laughs> what I call the ghost in the machine. Um, seven people told, uh, the story's broken down to seven sub-chapters within every chapter, so you'd run through all seven characters within the span of, you know, maybe 5,000 words, each sub-chapter getting maybe 700,000 words. So it moves real quick. So you'd start out with, you know, you know, you might start off with Jacob and then move into um, Roland or, you know, X. And, and then you'd, you'd run through it really quickly so that you get back around to the beginning again. But each of them is giving their own first-person perspective of what's going on. And what, what's happening is, um, and I owe a lot of this a little bit you know, to the TV show Lost, a little bit to um, the BBC show The Prisoner, the, the, the Truman Show, that movie. Um, there are things going on and you don't really know what's happening except that there are people and eventually you learn they're on an island that's established pretty early on. <clears throat> you, you learn that one of the characters is some sort of a computer. You get all this kind of techie computer speak on, on, the, on the page and then that one guy is back on the mainland in this kind of post-apocalyptic setting. Um, so basically you're trying to figure out who these people are, why, what are they doing, where are they, and why are these particular people the focus of the story? And as they all try and come together and meet up with each other, you, the story starts to unfold. So that by the time you get to the end, you, you know most of the answers, if not all of them. Um, but it's kind of building to this climax uh, at the end of the book. I think he did a much more accurate job portraying it than we did, don't you? Don't yeah, you, Rob? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a hard it's a hard book to describe. You know, I mean, when I sent it out, I'm like, well, what do I call it? Do I call it thriller? It's not really horror. It's not really fantasy. I mean, there's like some you know, some talking animals, a little, little bit of time travel. It's like, I mean, my press called it science fiction, but I don't know if I would even really call it science fiction. Um, it's just kind of uh, weird with you know bits of bits of uh, I don't know bits of bits of a, a little bit of everything in there. You know. <laughs> Um, I didn't want to limit myself, you know, if there's some sort of uh, this big white tiger beast in the cave and then it's talking to this guy, I didn't think, oh, hey, 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 hold on, no talking tigers, okay, <laughs> cannot do that, you know, if there's a portal in the cave and you go through it and you, you come out the other side and you're, you know, in St. Louis or you're in New York, I didn't, I didn't want to say, no, 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 we're not going to do science fiction, we'll keep it, we'll stay on the, on the path to noir, all right? It just kind of unfolded, and the more I—it was a really great. The more time I got to sit with these characters, and the more time they developed, the more I got to know who they were. 
um, I don't like to plot a lot when I write, so I basically had seven characters. Um, and, and looking back on my original notes, I realized they were kind of loosely based on the seven deadly sins, which I'd kind of forgotten uh, for several years. <laughs> um, but the more time I spent with them, it was more about just putting them in situations and seeing what they did. You know, if I know that one guy is an assassin, he's a cold-blooded killer, and you put, put him in a situation, he's going to react a lot differently from another guy who's a pacifist. So I, for a long time, probably the first three or four chapters, I, um, I kept people apart from each other because I wasn't sure how to handle the point of view. You know, I couldn't, how am I going to have, uh, you know, this Marcy talking to her boyfriend, X, who's just not even sure if he's human. Um, and then she hands off the baton in the story to him, and he takes it, and the camera turns back around, and now you're following him. It's like I, for a long time, I kept everybody, no one talked to each other. Everybody <laughs> was in their own head. Um, and eventually, when I started getting them together, it became more complicated. And then, like, every six chapters, I, I just because there wasn't enough going on at this point, every six chapters, I would do some sort of a flip. Like, the, at the end of the first six, chap six chapters, I did a, a flashback. So I could show you mm -hmm. why these people were chosen, what they did to deserve being put on this island. And then I come back to the present. And then six chapters later, I jump forward and, and give you a possible future of how things might turn out. Um, I have a moment where they're all in the same space, and it's no longer first person. It's almost this third person telling of something happening. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in there, and, and, and I knew I was taking a lot of chances, and, you know, I probably failed in a number of different ways. But um, the people who really loved the book, I think, really got it and, and understood what I was trying to do with it and really seemed to enjoy what I was doing and how I was manipulating them and how I was, you know, making them wait to understand everything. And I think by the time we got to the end, Hopefully, you know, if I did my job right, people finished the book and were satisfied and it came to a big climax and it was just kind of, you know, shook people up and hopefully they were somewhat, you know, laying back, smoking a cigarette, going, thank you. You know, <laughs> that's really my goal, <laughs> just to, you know, make people feel a little bit spent when they're done reading whatever I'm writing. It was written in a very interesting style and that's one of the things I really, really liked about it was the kind of perspective shifts very, very frequently and like you said, just multiple different angles yeah. you worked in. So it was very, very interesting to read from a structure standpoint. I mean, the story was great too, but the structure Thanks. was really something that I appreciated when I read it. Yeah. When I finished writing it, I said, I, you know, I said to myself, well, I'm never going to do that again <laughs> <laughs> because it was really by three or four chapters in, I'm like, okay, now who's where and who's going where and who knows what, you know, I had, it was, it was hard to keep track of everything. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was tricky, um, but I mean, I'm glad I did. It was really exciting when I was writing it to uh, to make to have all this stuff going on. Um, but I was talking to Christopher Dwyer at the end of that book, and I was like, well, "What should I do next?" And he's like, "How about <laughs> something neo noir where you have one character, <laughs> one point of view going forward in time? Let's just you know, let's just sit in that moment, and you know, enough of the smoke and mirrors and tricks. Let's just you know." And so that's what I did. I ended up writing uh, Disintegration, which I'm shopping right now, trying to find an agent, trying to find a press, and uh, it's one guy, and it's his point of view, and it's moving fairly straightforward in time, but a much different book to write. I mean, with uh, Transubstantiate, I would write <laughs> every day in my lunch hour at work, I would close the door and write for like an hour, and I would just bang out, you know, 700,000 words. So, you know, Monday I would write Marcy, and Tuesday I'd write Jacob. So each day I limited myself, and this is something Max Berry taught me um, doing the uh, the another cult intensive um, about limiting yourself. You know, when you say you have to write a minimum of a thousand words, sometimes you freak out and go, "I can't make it." But if you say like a maximum of like five hundred words, then you go, "Oh, five hundred words. All right, no problem." You know, okay, mm -hmm. and then you get there to five hundred, you're like, oh, "I can't stop. <laughs> Story's going." You know, and so I would I would keep going five, six, seven hundred thousand words, and each day I would I would. I'd have all this time in between the characters to talk about, to think about, um, and talk to myself about uh, what was going to happen next. And I go, oh, well, Marcy just did this. Now what's going to happen next? I don't know. Now I'm thinking about Jacob, 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 Jacob. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Okay, then by the time I got to the computer, I was just dying to get it out. And it would just <laughs> pour out of me so that, you know, by the end of the week, I'd have like 5,000 words and I'd go back and start over again. And I was just itching to get to these scenes because I would, I'd leave Marcy somewhere. I'd be like, okay, what am I going to do with her? You know, that was... You know, a week ago, I've got to get back there and get back to her story. You know, I've got to keep it moving. And so the book really went pretty quickly. Whereas with Disintegration, one character, one point of view moving forward in, in time, I would 
carve out these large blocks of time where I would basically send the wife and kids away and say, you know, give me a day to write. And I would sit down and write five, six, seven, sometimes 10,000 words in a day. And I would just sit with this character, the protagonist, who is, who's unnamed, and I would just sit in this world and turn off the lights, you know, and dim, dim the room and just kind of sit with him and, and wallow in the despair and the darkness and just see where he would go. And, and then he would go out to do something, and I would, I set it in my old neighborhood in Chicago. It's called Wicker Park. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew the area very well. So if he's walking up Milwaukee Avenue, then I know where he's going. And I know what building is on his left and what's on his right, and, you know, while some of the businesses have faded and, and aren't there anymore, I, I knew the I knew the landmarks and stuff. You mentioned Bayer, Clevenger, and Jones as um, as recent writing influences, but you mentioned that you wrote um, much earlier than that. Who were some of your earlier writing influences? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I grew up reading a lot of Stephen King, and uh, I think one of the cool things about about Stephen is that he's he's uh, a big Stephen King fan. And he's not um, Stephen. So I'm sorry, two Stevens there. Stephen Graham Jones is a big fan of Stephen King. So whenever I go see uh, Mr. Jones, Doctor Jones, excuse me, uh, speaking somewhere like AWP or something, he he unapologetically loves Stephen King. So that 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 was kind of the biggest thing that I grew up reading. I read everything he's ever written. You know, 40, 50 books. I'm a huge fan of his uh, storytelling. You know, he may not write the most poetic prose in the world. And some people think he goes on too long. I mean, I don't mind the thousand-page books. I really don't. Um, to be able to sit in there with the, these characters and these epic journeys like The Stand, um, It, and, and shorter works like Pet Cemetery and, and uh, The Long Walk. Um, he, was a, he was a big influence on how you could tell a story and how you could kind of twist it a little bit sometimes. Um, I also read a bit of Peter Straub and Clyde Barker, but... Um, I mean, I read just as much, you know, John Grisham, um, you know, anybody that was really, I mean, probably high school and college, mostly what I read was commercial, you know, I mean, not even a, a huge fan of horror per se, just really kind of a fan of a good story. I mean, when I got to college, then I started reading a little more experimental stuff. You know, I started reading The Beats, you know, reading Kerouac, mm-hmm. re- reading Burroughs, a lot of people, you know, that you, you're taught in, in class and uh, start taking philosophy classes and stuff, but... Uh, it probably wasn't until, you know, I discovered uh, Polonic that I really started getting out there and discovering all these writers on the edge of, you know, publishing, people who are relatively unknown. And then add to that, most recently, um, going through my MFA program, then I get all, all these, uh, these literary voices. And, of course, you know, me in a literary program, I, I'm not going to be drawn to, you know, the most conservative voices I'm always looking for the dark sheep in the in the family. You know, I'm, I'm drawn to Dennis Johnson and uh, Mary Gateskill, and, and I discover I like Flannery O'Connor a lot, uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy. I mean, a lot of you know writers who, who build themselves as, as literary, but also have a following in in various genres. I mean, The Road is basically a post-apocalyptic, you know, horror thriller, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yet it managed to make its way into Oprah's book club. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, talking about where I came from and where I am now, is that all these influences have come together to bring me to people like Stephen Graham Jones and Brian Evanson and um, Craig Davidson. I mean, a lot of people who are blending genre fiction, whether it's neo-noir or horror or fantasy or whatever, with literary writing. Paul Tremblay is another one who's been a big influence on me lately. A lot of really uh, indie, there's all these really great indie female voices out there too. Um, Amelia Gray, Lindsay Hunter, um, a writer who goes by XTX, or I don't know how you say it, it's XTX anyway. Uh, Ethel Rohan, uh, I mean I'm reading all these people, I'm doing all these book reviews over the Nervous Breakdown and it's like this great amalgam of edgy small presses and like edgy literary writers you know donald ray pollock was a big a big uh, influence on me too what he did with knock em stiff and you know I'm, I'm reading his new book right now it's just i guess i just i've really opened my mind and my heart and just to, to all these new voices and i just kind of wherever i get it whatever i absorb whoever it is it i just i let it i let it come in i let it sit with me i soak it up and then i if there's something in there i can use then I, then I use it. I mean, I just wrote three stories in the past week that all kind of have this kind of romantic, magical realism. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
uh, style, I, I don't know, I, I really haven't written much like it, but I, I showed it to a couple people and I'm, I'm submitting these for some various uh, anthologies and, and magazines and whatnot, and the people who read them really enjoy them. Um, but it's, it's this different side to me, you know, so I'm just kind of, it's fun to be able to play and, and to feel comfortable enough in your voice that you can go off the path a little bit, you know, and, and discover new things to say. Um, I mean, Steve Erickson is, is just, uh, he's one of those writers that I really have a hard time reading because he's so brilliant. Um, you know, getting him to do the introduction for Warmed and Bound just really is so amazing. And things he had to say about the collective uh, of artists is just just amazing and blows me away. But some of his books, I would I would read them and I would be so lost and I wouldn't know what was going on, and I felt stupid because I didn't I didn't understand it. And then there'd be a passage where it was so beautiful and so emotional and so heavy that I would I seriously I think I cried like three times. Um, was to see something at midnight. I forget which which is the one with the girl in the trees. Is that that one? And uh, I forget it, in between sta- uh, station was it stations? I forget its titles, but. It, it, his work was just so, it was challenging, you know, and that's why I think, you know, I look at people like, I don't know, Blake Butler, Matt, Matt Bell, there's a lot of people out there who are really kind of pushing, um, Grace Krolinovich just had a book out called uh, The Orange Eats Creeps, I think it was, and it was really a hard book to read for me, but there were times when it was just like, bam, it was just like so spot on that you just, it just really uh, jarred me, it was really uh, jarring, it really affected me. Um, and so I think that's what I'm doing these days is taking all that history, all my childhood, and then all these, you know, edgy noir, neo-noir authors, and then adding it to the MFA and all the literary voices, and then all the new emerging small presses and put them all together to try and create some sort of um, compelling voice with my own work. Um, you're going on a writer's retreat in a couple months, is that correct? That's true. That's true. I am. And I, I'm, I'm pretty uh, honored and excited about that. It's one of those things, uh, there isn't, <laughs> I don't know, there isn't, there are a few times when I've sent off work and I've gone, bam, that's going to land, that's going to work, that's going to, they're going to take it. Um, every once in a while, I've got these inklings of something that something that's going to work. Um, I entered this contest at Shizing, uh, they're really great, uh, Shizing, uh, is it Productions or Press, I forget, CCP, but they have a website called Shizing, Shirawaskuro, and um, they had this contest and I, I I sent off a story that I liked, and you had to base it on this novel called Filaria, a great book. And uh, I just I sent it off. I told my wife, I said, "Man, I'm going to win this contest," you know. And I, I said, just, "I know it." And, and then uh, against all odds, I won it. And I was like, "Whoa!" And just I couldn't believe it. And I was shocked, and I was just like, "Damn, that's well, freaky." But when I applied, <laughs> and the reason I mentioned that is that when I applied to this uh, the Schreiner's Fellowship, I just had this weird vibe that. Um, sense that I was going to get in, that, I was, that this was the right time for me to go down to this place and and write. Um, I mean, I've sent off stuff so many times to different, you know, magazines and, and websites and agents and, and other, you know, uh, writers retreats like this too, and, you know, most of the time I get rejected, so um, I was pretty excited when they got back to me and said that I was in, I think they had about 80 people who submitted, they took about eight, and uh, it's called Writers in the Heartland. And in, in October, I'll go down there for about a week, and basically they put you up in this retreat slash spa slash cabin in the middle of the woods, and uh, they feed you, and, and you're basically kind of cut off from the world. I mean, there is some internet, but really it's it's not easy to get to, and um, it's this great opportunity, and my wife said I could go. <laughs> that was the important thing, because um, I've been going down to my MFA program for, you know, three years now taking you know 10 days here 10 days there where i just kind of go down to kentucky and and disappear and it's you know it's it's tough to you know i miss my family and you know they miss me being here so it's, it's tough to make these commitments but i'm hoping that if i can get a hold of my third novel which is what i'm seeking right now what i'm just trying to find in the universe right now uh that maybe i can write a novel in, in those uh in those seven days I don't, I don't know if i can do it but with disintegration i had a week to finish it, and I wrote about um, what forty thousand words in four days, oh. over the course of a week, and uh, it just was it was just begging to come out of me. It just poured out of me, and I was I just was trying to keep up with it. I mean, I, I type about seventy words a minute, but I could still barely at times get the scenes down fast enough because I'm you know I'm 
I'm not getting any younger, and I lived a very active youth. So my, you know, I don't. I probably have two brain cells left. So if I don't, <laughs> if I don't follow the thread while I've got it, you know, then forget it. I'll lose it. You know, people say, oh, if it's a good enough story, if it's a good enough plot point or scene, then you know, you'll remember it. No, I won't. It'll <laughs> if I don't put it down now, forget it. Uh, tomorrow I'll be gone. So, so yes, I'm really excited to go down to this Writers in the Heartland retreat. And uh, the idea of, of having no responsibilities, just to be there to write, to have nowhere to go, you know, there's no distractions, you can't, there's nowhere to go in town, um, there's like no, really nobody hanging out there, it's not like there's, you know, a bunch of, you know, exciting young people hanging out by the pool, hey, let's go do this, you know, it's going to be cabin, a room, myself, my laptop, and the opportunity to do something, you know, really exciting, so, um up until a week ago, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was trying to find this book. I've, I've been wanting to do something kind of steampunkish, um, but I don't want to. I, I haven't read that much steampunk that really blew me away, and I, I don't really want to follow the conventions of what steampunk. I'm making a little quotey fingers right here. <laughs> steampunk is. Um, so these last, I just wrote a couple stories. One was called Fireflies for this uh, machines, Machine of Death anthology. I, I sent it off to. We'll see if I get in. I don't know. Keep my fingers crossed. Um, I wrote one called Flowers for Jessica, and, and uh, they're all just kind of this weird little magical realism kind of, um, it was really interesting because when I wrote this, this story, Fireflies, it, it was this, you know, just, I'll just give you a little bit of it, it's this guy sitting in a hut in the middle of nowhere, and uh, his, his wife is dead, and he's like, there's been this disease, and things have kind of fallen away, but it's told in a way that's a little more, not straightforward, and there's kind of wolves that come at night, and there's these fireflies, and it's all just kind of this... I know I kept I kept thinking oh this is what this is what Stephen would write this is what you know Paul Trumbly this is the right voice I need to follow this and it was a pretty short story maybe sixteen hundred words but I really liked the language and I really liked the point of view and the setting it was kind of you know there was one line in there because we're talking about the whole machine of death where it predicts your death and he refers to um, the little placard the little piece of paper that has a serial number on there and he says oh I had the serial number memorized from staring at it for so long and. You know, back at a time when the machine still ruled the world. You know, so he's looking mm. back on a time when there used to be technology. Now there is none, and that was, I was like, "Yeah, that's the vibe I want. That's what I want." Things have broken down. There used to be technology. Things used to be high tech. Now there's nothing. It's like a man, and he, like he has to make his own screwdriver out of a piece of steel <laughs> and a piece of wood. You know, he's he's using sap. To, to glue the, his walls together. He's trying to bend the latch on a door so the wolves don't get in. It's like this whole really kind of weird vibe in it, and I really liked it a lot. So if I can hold on to that, if I, and I've been playing around with it, right, like I said, writing a couple short stories in the last week or so, if that that might be the world of my next book. So I'm hoping if I can really, if I can get excited about it, and, and if it feels like there's enough there that I can expand, and I have like a one-word title so far, this is tentatively titled Incarnate, and, and I don't even really know what that means, <laughs> but it just feels like the right word, you know. If I can hold on to that word, that maybe I can, maybe I can go down to this writer's retreat and, and get something done. So we'll see. Tell us a little bit about that story, and you mentioned disintegration a few times. Can you give us a little peek into disintegration? Sure. Christopher Dwyer is, is a good friend of mine, and you know we we joke that you know he we're brothers from another mother. Um, him and and Axel Axel. Uh, Tiari and, uh, and Nick Corpon were all kind of neo-noir kids, and um, they kind of pushed me to head in this direction. And believe me, after writing Transubstantia, I didn't want to write anything complicated. Uh, I just like the idea of starting with a guy who's sitting in an apartment by himself, and he's just kind of unraveling. And you know something has happened, but you don't know what. And there's like a, a manila envelope that comes sliding under the door. And I just like the idea of we don't know what's going on. It felt very noir, very neo-noir to me. And uh, I set it in in my apartment uh, that I used to live in in Wicker Park when I was single. There was about a two-year span when I was single, <laughs> uh, about uh, again, about 15 years ago. Um, and if you if you read my body of work, uh, I've set several short stories in the same apartment. Um, I don't know if anybody ever recognizes that. You know, Jesus, Richard, man, could you set it somewhere else besides the same dingy apartment? But I, I knew that place really well, and I, I went through a really tough period there, you know, where I was I was really depressed and suicidal and just, you know, a mess. And I was just, you know, drunk and uh, just, man, I was just falling apart. I was disintegrating. And so that, I think, was that kind of that little bit. I could see that stage set, uh, and I could see this guy who really is me. You know, I mean, I didn't go around killing people, but, you know, it was a mess. 
<laughs> and it's this guy, and he has to decide, you know, how he's going to move on, and will he, will he do these bad things, and will he, you know, he kind of decides to go off the grid, and you know, he has no phone, no, his apartment is off the grid. He's working for a guy who has this building, so he, you know, he's not paying rent. He doesn't get paid in cash usually. It's like things just show up, and he just kind of is has resigned himself to to killing people, to just taking out people that are worse than him. You know, he has this tragedy and it's this tragedy that has really destroyed him emotionally. It's like there are no mirrors in his house, in his apartment. He's just kind of, he, he's forgot. it's so bad that like he's forgotten his own name. You know, he's on drugs, he's drunk all the time. He's just kind of, he really has no idea what's real and, and who he is. And the, the novel is basically his journey, you know, and I, I like to put myself in these stories. I like to put the every man in, in, the, in my stories, in my novels, in my short stories. You know, what would I do? What what would you do? What would any guy do, you know, if he was in this tragic circumstance and you fall apart and you lose everything, what, what do you do next? You know, if you don't kill yourself, if you find yourself with an opportunity to, do, to maybe, I don't, know, I don't want to say get back at God, but if you want to kind of balance things out and do something where you have some control, where previously you felt you had no control. What would you do? And then once you do start killing people, you know this is kind of leading back to Dexter and stuff. You know what is what is a noble kill? What 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 do you not do? What are the rules? You know, and then as the the novel unfolds, you know things get a little trickier and things happen and you know things he thought he were things he thought he was doing that were noble, maybe they aren't. Maybe he's just as bad as all these other low lives and drug dealers and pedophiles that he's been killing, and maybe none of it's true. He doesn't know, and then people that are close to him start to disappear and that kind of all builds towards this climax and uh, actually my wife really my wife helped me kind of get the ending to the story because I kept I, I'm like I'm, I'm building this up I'm getting there I'm getting there I'm like 70,000 words into it and I get to the end of it and I'm like okay we've got I'm talking to my wife and I, and I go okay we've got A, B, C, and D here's possible endings here's what I think you know the ending it's it's, it's, a, it's an uptick you know it's a downtick it's, it's a side tick I'm kind of all these different ways I'm trying to explain this without giving away the end um and then she gave me kind of like f like what if it was this i'm like oh man i'm like that would just be you know they open the door instead of it's it's totally oh it's not what you thought was coming you know and it's it's so it's 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 a tragedy this book it really is it's it's a sad story and i I think if if anything i've ever written is really neo-noir this is because it definitely does not end with any sort of an up note at all um but it was just kind of uh, devastating, and I, I didn't see it coming. And I and I wrote it, and I, I got to the period, and, I, and I'm done. And I'm like, okay, that's it, done. Walking <laughs> away, seventy thousand two hundred twenty-six words. That's it. That's, that's where it goes. So it was it was a really exhilarating experience, and a much different writing writing process than writing transubstantiate. So, um, but in the end, I, I'm really happy with it, even though it's it's really becoming it's been a hard sell. It's been passed on by a lot of people. I just I just need to find the right people to believe in it and i think it'll i think it'll get out there and it'll it'll i don't know i don't think it'll shake people up a little bit but in a good way you know kind of like american psycho shook people up something like that hopefully <laughs> if i'm lucky all right this is a this is kind of a 90 degree from everything we've been talking about but uh chris dwyer's come up a couple of times and i i, I wouldn't forgive myself if i didn't ask you about this but he <laughs> may have mentioned <laughs> i don't know if you listened to our interview with him uh, the AWP, I think it was in Colorado, yeah. and uh, a special screening of the movie Paranormal Activity. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything to say about that, or anything you think he might have misrepresented? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, just because we're in the same bed together doesn't mean anything. They're small beds. You know, I wasn't spooning him. If that's what he's implying. Um, not well. The movie really scared the hell out of us. Um, I can say that much. I hadn't seen it before, and I think it was Axel, was Axel and Christopher and Nick and I were watching it, and there it was really. It's all this tension. Like I seriously thought I was gonna freak out. I thought I was gonna lose <laughs> my mind because we were watching the show, and I kept seeing something in the mirror <laughs> that kept reflecting from the bathroom, and then it's like I mean seriously this crazy shit started happening like the like the faucet turned on or something or there was like this you know banging on the wall it's just like some really some freaky stuff and I, I really I already have a problem with mirrors as it is um but yeah we were you know four grown men uh, in a hotel room <laughs> like screaming like little girls so it was kind of embarrassing but uh it was a good time 
<laughs> Great. That's all, that's all I can say about that. That was. It's just one of those things where you hear it and you just you can't let it go because it's so amusing. Like this contrast of the personalities. I, I, know, I know. I know. We're all these tough guys writing all this dark stuff, and then we're like you know practically holding hands. It was. Uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to explain, but I mean, there aren't many movies I've watched in my adult life that have really scared me. Like Blair Witch really scared the shit out of me. Um, for God, some people, I'm glad I'm glad somebody else will admit to that. Everyone else I talked to goes, that was just a horrible movie. And I right? go, you know, it's the only oh. movie that scared me since I was oh like 10 God. years old. I can't I can't explain it. it. It's 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 such a low budget movie, and maybe that's what really worked for me because I don't get scared by you know werewolves and vampires. I, I get scared by the real stuff. I get scared by things that can really happen. Um, the end of that movie when the the camera tips over. And the guy standing in the corner, and you see her come up. Oh my god! Like I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about. It. Um, there was something so visceral about it. Um, it just really, I don't know. It probably was a low budget. The way they, it was all shaky cam and stuff, and just kind of really gritty. Um, I, for some reason, I bought into it. I don't know why. I mean, I've seen much, you know, slicker movies. Um, that just really scared the hell out of me. But I, I can't think of really many other movies. I mean, the paranormal is kind of. You know, you get a lot of movies where they. Uh, you know, it's a cat jumping in a window. It's a lot of cheap tricks to get you to, you know, scream or jump or whatever. But, I mean, that one was just kind of the building up of all this emotion to the point where you're just like, like, I thought I might have a heart attack. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, way, we're way off track here. But I did just <laughs> I, I did just watch Insidious the other night, and uh, I thought yeah. that was actually pretty good. So yeah. I'll throw out a recommendation for people who like right. um, Paranormal Activity to check out Insidious. I, I saw I saw a little, little bit about that. Um I'll have, to, I'll have to see. I don't know. I, I think if I thought, I think if I'd seen Blair Witch on the big screen, I, I might have like popped a blood vessel or something. So maybe I'm not just equipped for that. <laughs> I saw I saw Blair Witch on opening night, and we walked out of the theater. And you know, there's always like people talking when they're leaving a movie, and the whole crowd was just dead silent. Walking out. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just the weirdest thing. So people, people were pretty freaked out and all pale and seemed that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. there's, there's dark things in the in the world, so you know sometimes you run into them, and it's you know it's not it's not cute anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about or plug before we uh, let you go? Um, I could go on forever. Uh, <laughs> Nick Corpon and I have a, a couple stories, and it's a really cool little ebook from Snubnose Press called Speedloader. Um, Bowden, David Bodensteiner uh, did the artwork uh, that came out a little while ago. That's that's pretty cool. I'm happy to be in there. Uh, I, I have a bunch of stuff coming out later this year, but you know I, I'll be pimping it on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere, so you know you're not going to miss it. But uh, um, I mean, really, Warmed and Bound is kind of what I'm most excited about right now. I mean, there's so much talent in this collection, and I mean, some big names in there that I'm just really honored to publish with for the first time. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, that's really kind of what I'm excited about, and. It's really turned out well. I'm really pretty stoked at how it just keeps getting more and more awesome. I mean, the Steve Erickson introduction and you know all the other big names that got in, into the collection. It's just, I think it's really. I, I really think it has some chance, a, a chance to maybe win some awards. I, I really think if, if it gets nominated and we take care of it, you know, if if, uh, if the management behind the scenes sends it out, I think we really have a chance to get some attention with it, which is great because there's so many people in this collection that just really aren't known. Even the bigger names, you know, they're known to us and they're known in our circles, but to the rest of the world, you know, even Stephen with like whatever ten books, he, he, nobody knows who who he is, <laughs> which is kind of frightening. But um, you know, he's my hero. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll just just keep an eye on, on, my, on my Twitter, and my Facebook, and stuff. All stuff coming out, uh, a bunch of stuff coming out. Stories about medicine, and uh, uh, I just got a story except in a. a, a kind of a cool literary journal called gargoyle magazine but that won't be out till probably next year or maybe even two years and um i have a couple of short story collections that i may or may not have sold <laughs> <laughs> i hate to even talk about it yet uh because i'm i'm trying to roll all this into an agent and uh, a couple agents have disintegration right now and the, the full manuscript and i think maybe if they go oh well a couple of short story collections and a book okay go done i'll sign you mm-hmm. um that hasn't quite happened yet but uh when those things when those happen um i'll let you know but all right so uh you mentioned briefly about your website and everything why don't you just uh give it really quickly where people can get in touch with you all in one spot sure um if you go to my website it's what does not kill me 
com. It's uh, based on that Nietzsche quote we talked about earlier. What does not kill me makes me stronger. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at, at WickerCat there. It's W-I-C-K-E-R-K-A-T. I know I should probably change it to like Richard Thomas or something <laughs> obvious, but uh, <laughs> this is my, my, my low-tech stupidity. Um, I'm afraid if I change it to like Richard Thomas that all the people who have the Wicker Cat signed up that like I'm gonna drop all these you know 500 followers mm. and so I'm just leaving it I'll just be a wicker cat forever I mean I know it's just again it's it's really you know dark <laughs> fiction writer and you picture him why is he a wicker cat I don't get it what is up with this dude which I'll picture a little kitty cat made out of wicker it's, yeah I don't know I wish I could explain it it refers to when I used to live in Wicker Park ah uh-huh. that makes sense that makes so I'd sense I'd be kind of a Sammy Davis Jr. I used to, I'm a wicker cat but man but yeah so Twitter.com, WickerCat, and uh, WhatDoesNotKillMe.com. You can find everything else there, all my stories and everything, links to everything up there. Richard, thanks a lot for coming on the show and taking the time to talk to us, and best of luck in all your endeavors. Thanks so much, guys. It's really been an honor to be on here. I've really enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, once again, big thanks to Richard Thomas for coming on. We're really glad that we could have him. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about him for uh, for a couple months now and trying to get him on the show since we first started talking about, uh, mentioned Transubstantiate a few months ago. So it was great to have him on. What a nice guy. Yeah, for sure. And you can find Richard Thomas at whatdoesnotkillme.com and you can find his story, Say Yes to Pleasure, in Warmed and Bound, a Velvet Anthology, which comes out tomorrow. That about wraps it up for this episode of Booked. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Check back tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. Oh